When I was a kid, we owned a copy of Halley's Bible Handbook. Does that sound familiar to anyone? To a few folks it does. If you don't know, Halley's was written by a Disciples of Christ minister in the early 20th century, and it was pretty popular among evangelicals, including the Southern Baptist Church that I came out of. I remember thumbing through it one day, and much of it was above my head. But I, I came across a description of heaven there, and I remember a line something like this, we will spend much time praising him. Which got me to thinking, and got me to worry. Was heaven going to be nothing more than an eternal worship service? A church service without end? I liked worship as a kid, but I didn't like it that much. So one day I asked my pastor, what's heaven going to be like? Is it going to be just one big, long church service? It sounds boring. And I don't remember much of his answer, but I do remember this. He smiled and said something like, don't worry about it. When we close our eyes in death, the first person we'll see will be Jesus. And I don't think anything will bore us after we see Jesus face to face. And that's good advice, because what we have in this seventh chapter of Revelation is much more than eternal worship. What we see with John is the church triumphant. All the saints of every time and every place finally seeing their heart's desire. They finally see Christ the Lamb who took away their sins by his own suffering and death. They see him, the source of their salvation. They see him who has shepherded them through the indignities and sufferings of life on this earth to the realm where there is no more want, no more fear, and no more tears. And that can be helpful for us to remember. Heaven, for Christians, is not the place good people go when they die. I'm going to repeat that. Heaven is not the place good people go when they die. As if God has scales like the Egyptian god Osiris, who measures the heart to determine whether you get in or not, or, say, like in the popular imagination with St. Peter, like a grumpy gatekeeper, just seeing if you're in the book or not and ready to kick you out if you're not. No. Heaven is where our ultimate desire and hope is fulfilled in Christ the Lamb, by grace through faith alone. It is for all the saints, one not by our own merits, not by anything we could possibly do, but by the Lamb. From the beginning, God's people have been constantly tempted to put their ultimate hope in someone or something else. In the garden, the serpent tempted our first parents to put their hope in acquiring knowledge and the promise of being like God through that acquisition. The children of Israel were tempted to abandon hope in the God who brought them out of slavery and to return to a comfortable, dehumanizing slavery in Egypt. The kings of Israel and Judah often put more hope in their foreign alliances, in other kings, than in God, much to the chagrin of the prophets. And at the time John penned Revelation, the churches 
were tempted to put more hope in what Rome could do for them than in what the Lamb had already done for them. They were tempted to assimilate to the dominant culture, to accept the rewards of empire, and forget who they were and what they were called to be. The same happens today. There are a lot of would-be messiahs out there to choose from. Take your pick. We might place our security in our material resources. That's been a temptation from the beginning of civilization. Or we might put our hope in our own abilities to accomplish something. The American credo is, after all, who I am is what I do. My worth is defined by my accomplishments. Or we might put our trust in one political figure or another, someone we think will set things right and take care of all the bad people, whoever they are. And while certain persons may come to mind, this temptation isn't new either. 20th century utopian movements, Soviet communism and Nazi fascism come to mind were led by a would-be messiah promising a return to glory. Roman emperors and Egyptian pharaohs often styled themselves as gods, the saviors of their respective peoples. Humanity has tragically often hoped in messianic pretenders. Above all this confusion, pretension, and oppression is Christ the Lamb. And this lamb is not like all other would-be messiahs. He doesn't promise salvation if we would only just work a little bit harder. He doesn't promise pain-free change of heart, mind, and soul. He doesn't promise to pad our bank accounts. He doesn't promise to hate the same people we hate. He doesn't even promise that we will be remembered by those we leave behind after we die. What he promises is a new community, a new way of being centered around himself, his father, and the spirit between them. He promises to bring us into a way of life not built on the oppressive compulsory peace of empire, but on his own freely given love for each of us, his costly love for you and for me. As Luther wrote in his explanation on the second article of the Creed, He, Jesus, has purchased and freed me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. Christ the Lamb does not conquer through inflicting violence and pain on others. Christ the Lamb conquers through his own death and resurrection. It is in Christ the Lamb that our hope is found. He isn't like the various hired hands that Jesus speaks of in our gospel reading today and that Mike brought up in the children's sermon. Thank you. He isn't like those who use the sheep for their own purposes and flee at the first sign of danger. He is the one who gathers us around himself in his realm of abiding love for us, where we are known and seen more deeply than we could possibly know and see ourselves. And that's the essence of Lamb Hope. 
We hope in the one who makes us saints through our baptism into his death and resurrection. We hope in the one who transforms our sinful selves into a new self, molded in his image. We hope in the one who is trustworthy because of what he has done for us and, for, and by what he continues to do among us today. Christ is still at work in you and me. Despite our sinfulness, our self-centeredness, our misplaced hopes, our misbegotten searches for love and acceptance, Jesus, the Lamb, continues to form us as his community of saints out of sheer grace. Sheer grace. And this community isn't just for life here. It doesn't end when our lives end, but it continues perfected in the world to come. So when we gather here today at this table for a humble morsel of bread and a tiny sip of wine, we are receiving what Lutheran Book of Worship called a foretaste of the feast to come. And I hope the music, those of you who remember, the music immediately came to mind. In this ordinary, unflashy bite, we are united with all the saints of every time and place in his body and blood. In this meal, as we remember Christ's sacrifice for us, we are remembered into the body of his saints, living and dead. And we have this sure and certain promise. In Christ the Lamb, we are ultimately remembered by God. Amen. <laughs>